Great job, team, up there. I'm going to set those back there, see if I can keep from messing up their uh, stuff. I'll tell you what I'd like you to do as we get started um, tonight, if you could do a couple of things. One, if uh, you're sitting like, you know, kind of on the outside or something, move in a little bit, and if you're uh, got a little bit of space next to you, you know, sit next to somebody. But what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to find somebody around you. And what I would like you to do is chat with one other person, or you can get two if you actually need to. And what I'd like you to do is discuss, you know, when you think of success, what do you think of? What is, what is success for you? How, how do you really see success? So take a few minutes and do that, and then I'll call us back. Quickly, quickly, find somebody. Okay, let me call us back here. We'll kind of join back together. Shh, thank you. We'll kind of join back. So did you guys find out some uh, good things about success? What did you find out? Hmm? Curious. Hmm? Nobody found out anything about success. You were just talking about recipes or swapping something like that. Okay, well, that's, that's interesting. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to look. Tonight, we're wrapping up a series that we began about five or six weeks ago on the Word of God and we looked that first week at the importance of God word, God's Word, and one of the things we talked about then is that the authority and reliability of Scriptures has to become a settled issue for you if you are ever going 
to experience the life that is described in there. If, if, you, uh, if you ever hope to do that, then what do you have to do? You have to decide, okay, can I really trust God's word? Am I really going to live in that and under that in my life? Am I going to do that or not? The first week, you know, we had looked at uh, hearing, and if you see the hand right there behind me, you know, these, we looked at hearing the first week, and we got some great evaluative questions on how do you, um, for internal and external, how do you really prepare to hear God's word? And we found out that attitude is huge as we approach God's word. And the next week, we looked at reading, and we got some really great tools on how to read, and we learned that out of all that, our focus needs to be much more as we get into God's word on who we're becoming rather than what we want to accomplish. And so we really need to figure that out. You know, who is it that we, we really want to be and who is it that God wants us to be? And then we looked at studying and, and we got there. We found out that by getting into the scriptures, we begin to get a right view of ourselves. We begin to get a right view of the world. We begin to get a right view of God. And one of the things we, we found out also from that is, you know, you're not going to get in you're probably not going to study the Word of God like all the time, but you need to be consistent with it. I mean, it's not like something you may do every day, but you need to consistently be getting into God's Word. And then last week, we looked at, at memorizing, and Eric reminded us that the most important thing as you begin to think about memorizing Scripture is to remember the why and, you know, why you do it and what is the impact of that on your life. Now, tonight, we're going to look, if you look at the hand right there, you can see it all. And we're going to look, we're going to be looking at the thumb tonight, um, which is meditation. Now, I'm not so sure that this may not be the most important. And the reason for that is the, there's four ways that you take the Word of God in that we've looked at the last four weeks. You know, you know hearing, reading, studying, memorizing. Those are the ways you take it in. But the way you assimilate that into your life, the way you assimilate what you've taken in is meditation. And you know yourself that, you know, like with food, if you eat a lot of food, but you don't assimilate any of it, uh, you're in really bad shape. In fact, they stick you in the hospital. So taking it in and really assimilating it into your life is important. And that's where scripture is. And I think that as you look at it, you know, meditation is one of those things. It's like, Chewing on, in fact, the word itself is a word that has, the, um, has kind of the meaning of, of taking and, and chewing on something over and over, kind of like you see cows do when they're chewing on stuff, you know. They're trying to get all the nutrients they possibly can out of that. That's the same way. You want to take a passage, you want to take a verse, you want to begin to chew on that and begin to see what all is it that God wants to teach me out of this passage. So you look at that. I think it's really, um, it's apropos that it is the thumb in this whole illustration because, you know, what that does is it helps you to get a grip on the Word of God. In fact, if you read over in the book of Judges, if you read in like Judges 1, you see that Israel is in a battle with the Canaanites and they defeat this one king. And as they do, once they defeat him, they cut off his thumbs and they cut off his big toes. And you're like, what? You know, you're like, yeah, they did that a lot back then. And you think, Why? Well, they cut off their big toes because then they can't chase you. You actually need your big toes to run well. And so, you know, they did that. They cut off their thumbs because then you can't really hold a sword well. And so, you know, it doesn't allow you to get a grip without your thumb. So it's a good idea that we're looking at, uh, you know, meditation because that's what allows us to get a grip on God's Word, to begin to take in the hearing, the reading, the studying, the memorizing, and assimilate them into our lives. So there's a lot of promises 
associated with meditation in the scriptures. And so what I'd like us to do tonight is I'd like us to look at two different passages and just some of the things they say about meditation. And the very first one is one we've looked at a couple of times already during this series. It's in Psalm chapter 1. So Psalm chapter 1, God says this, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in this law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And if you flip back on that verse, let's go back to verse 1 there for a second, Michelle. It starts off, it says, how blessed is the man. How blessed is the man who does not, and he goes into that. How blessed. The word blessed is a word that it, it, it means, you know, total well-being, complete well-being. You know, it's, it, every facet of your life will be better is what he's saying with that word. He said you're very blessed if that, you know. Now, he says, how, how do you get that blessing? Well, it's simple. He said there's several things you don't do, but there is one thing you do. You learn to meditate on the word of God and you do it. You actually make that part of your life. And then when you begin to look at, you know, what are some of the promises there, um, they're, they're kind of staggering. You know, Tim Keller had mentioned uh, some, some of the promises that are just staggering. There. One, one is substance. If you look right there, he says, he will be like a tree. And when he's talking about somebody's life, somebody that actually, you know, looks in God's word, meditates on it, puts it into practice, he says, he'll be like a tree. In other words, something with real substance. In fact, what he compares people that don't do that, he compares them with chaff. Now, if you grew up in the city, you're probably thinking, what the heck's chaff? Well, chaff is like the outside, like the outside husk of a kernel that's there. And so basically, it's like just the veneer. That's all it is. And he says, you know what? When you're a person that doesn't meditate on Scripture, you, you, you can kind of have a veneer about your life. But as far as there being real substance, not going to be that much. Not going to be that much. He promises you can have a real substantive life as you begin to put that into practice. Another thing he says, you can have real stability. He says it'll be like a tree that is planted by streams of water. And if you look, I mean... If you know about trees, usually they're very dependent upon rain. Like if it rains, the tree's doing good. If it doesn't rain, the tree's not doing so good. Not true with this life. With this life, what he's saying is, you know what? You'll be like a tree that's planted right by a stream. In other words, you're not dependent on circumstances. You're not dependent on, boy, if it's going well, then I'll grow. And if it's not going well, I won't grow. No, no. You are like a tree planted by a stream. Your roots go down, and they're constantly nourished. So he says, you know, you'll all have, you'll also have stability. Then he goes on, and he says, you know, fruitfulness. He says, he it yields its fruit in season. It's in other words, it's always growing. It's always growing. This passage right here in Psalm chapter one. I remember, you know, I was like a kid uh, when I was in college, and this was one of the very first passages I ever thought, you know. 
boy, I probably ought to try this stuff. And I was thinking about this passage and, and just running over in my mind. I kept thinking, you know, why does, why does God compare our lives to a tree? Why does he do that? You know, I mean, why not like a lion or something? You know, I mean, why a tree? You know, like, you, know you seem like a real tree. Uh, you know, why? And then I thought, as I kept running that over in my mind, I thought, you know, one of the things that's true about a tree, when you cut a tree down and you take a slice out of it, what do you see inside? Rings. That's exactly. Some people go, are there rings in there? Not, not like rings like this. No, it's not like there's rings. There's like rings for every single year that tree is alive. You're going to see another ring. Now, some of them may be a little wider. In other words, a lot of growth that year. Some of them may be a little narrower. But you know what you see? Always rings for every year. There's always growth. And that's one of the things he promises here. He says, you know, you will be fruitful your whole life if you will put this into practice. So the kind of life that is offered is one that regularly practices meditation on God's Word. That's the result of a life done like that. So then another passage, Joshua 1.8. In Joshua 1.8, Israel's getting ready to go in to the promised land, and, and they're, they're stepping in with all their armies. And God says this to Joshua. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written therein. Then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. And he starts off and he says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Usually we read that and we step right over it like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you stop and think about it, how do you make sure the word of God does not depart from your mouth? Well, it, it, it's really relatively simple. It's Matthew 12, 34. In Matthew 12, 34, he says, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. See, your heart is like a reservoir that just keeps filling your mouth. In fact, what is in there will naturally flow out. Sometimes you say something and you think, ah, I don't know why I said that. That's not me. Yes, it is. That's what's in your heart. If you're wondering, you know, why, why did I say that? Because that's filling your heart and it's just naturally flowing right out. And so one of the things you see, he says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but every time there's a but, there's a contrast. And he says, you look at this, and this tells you how to keep that reservoir full. He says, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written therein. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. So here is a place God gives Joshua kind of a map to understand how to make progress. And it's a map in, in like this. Let me just tell you, it's meditation leads to application. We can do it next slide there. It leads to application, which leads to progress. M-A-P. Meditation leads to application, which leads to progress. And we'll break those down for you a little bit. Like in meditation, first, he says, you shall meditate on it day and night. He's not talking about like 24-7. He's not thinking, you know, boy, you're just going to wake up and all day long you're just waiting. No, he's saying you need to have that as a regular part of your routine. In other words, day and night, it's a regular part of your routine. But he said you shall meditate on it day and night. Now, you may wonder, um, how, do you, how do you meditate on stuff? I mean, how do you do that? You know, well, it's going to be different, probably a little bit different for each passage, but let me, let me give you a few tools that you can look at on how to meditate. First one is picture it. 
picture it. In other words, place yourself on the scene. Position yourself right there in the middle of what's going on. Hear it, see it, smell it, taste it. You know, picture yourself right there. Um, one of the passages you could uh, do that with would be something like Acts chapter 12. Now, you know, a lot of times we read through Acts, and, or for that matter, any uh, book of the Bible, but we'll, we'll be reading through there a lot of times, and we'll just kind of blow through it, and we don't really think about so much what we're reading. But like in Acts chapter 12, what you see there is Herod, the, the king over that region at the time, what he's done, he's, he's just put James, the brother of John, to death, and all of the people you know, were in favor of that. And so he thought, hey, this is great. So he throws Peter in jail as well. And so Peter's in there waiting, you know, trial. He's got like 16 guys that are guarding him. You know, he's got one that is stationed on either side of him. And then he's got like 14 guys that are guarding all of the gates to go out of there. And all of a sudden, as he's asleep, it says, you know, this big light comes on in the cell. He has a guard on either side of him, chained to him. And this angel steps in and nudges him, says, get up. The chains fall off of him, clang, clang, clang. You know, the chains fall off. They get up, they go out, they walk through, they walk right past the guards. The gate opens up on itself. They walk on out and he goes to this house where people are praying for him. Now, most of the time we read through that and we don't think about that, but put yourself in that position. Put yourself in Peter's position. You're sitting there and you're thinking, okay, um, they've already killed James. I'm next. I don't want to do anything to irritate these guys right now. I want to just, you know, try to, you know, maybe something, I need, I need to get out of here. And all of a sudden you're there and this big light comes on in a dark cell. And these guards are on either side and you're thinking, hmm, bad idea, bad idea. And then somebody goes, stand up. And when you stand up, it goes, clang, clang, clang. And you're thinking, do you not know how to do a jailbreak? This is not how you do it. I mean, you know, you want to be quiet and stuff. Then he goes out and he starts walking out and the iron gate opens up, you know, and all these other guys, you're like, is there another way out here? You start thinking about all that they were going through. It's even more funny when you read the rest of the passage because you start looking at it and it said in like um, about verse five, it says, you know, that they're fervently praying for Peter, you know, to be released. And so Peter goes to this house where they're fervently praying. And he knocks on the door, and the girl comes, and she hears Peter's voice. She goes, who is it? And he says, it's Peter. And she goes back. She goes, Peter's outside. That's impossible. We're praying for that. Uh, so, you know, they go right on. You know, and it, it's, it's hilarious the way they go back. Finally, they're like, oh, it must be an angel. It must be this. And finally, they're like, it's Peter. Good night. God may answer prayer. <laughs> Imagine, you know, it's not just an exercise in futility. And you begin to put yourself in there you can begin to understand a passage so much better. So that's another way you can do it. You can ponder it. In other words, notice some things, like notice progression uh, in things. Like in um, Proverbs 1 that we just talked about, you know, blessed are those who do not walk, and then they stand, and then they're sitting. And you begin to notice a progression, you know. Or look at the verbs. Look at the implications. What are the implications if that verse is true, what are the implications of that verse for my life? And that's what you do when you ponder. You begin to think through all those things. Another thing you can do, you can pronounce things. In other words, there you just emphasize each word. So it may be something like, um, like Romans 5.8, for instance, where you could look at that and he says, you know, 
But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so you think, but God demonstrates his own love. But God demonstrates his own love. God demonstrates his own love. And you begin to emphasize each word and you, you begin to understand more of what's, what's being said there. Another thing, you can paraphrase, and that's just what it means. You paraphrase, you state it in your own words. Or probe it, you just ask it lots of questions, lots of questions. You kind of bombard the, the text with questions. And we'll, we'll look a little bit more at that later. But meditation is the thing that is to lead us to application. Meditation should lead you to application. He tell, God tells Joshua, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Careful to do means this is something you're going to take action about. It's not just something you're gaining understanding about. It's something you're to do something with. And you can look at that. You know, there's, there's several, like, cause-effect, couple of cause-effect statements. The first one, he says, so that. The other one, he says, for then. But when he says, so that, he says, so that, you're to meditate on this so that you'll be able to, to put it into practice. You'll be able to apply it. And you look and you think, well, wait a minute. I mean, can't I just apply the word without meditating on it? Yeah, you can. But it'll be more at a behavioral level and not at a heart level. If you really want, I mean, if you look at like Matthew 5, over and over, these were guys that were trying to apply it in some ways. And Jesus comes to him and he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And what he keeps pointing out is, guys, you were focusing on this little outward thing. I'm focusing on a changed heart. I'm focusing on how you would do it like this. And so you need that to be able to do that. The second statement, he says, for then, for then you, you will make progress. You know, if you begin to look at it, one of the things you see is if you don't apply the things that he promises there, like, you know, um, he says, you, then you'll make your way prosperous, then you will have success. Those are not guaranteed if you're not taking it and putting it into practice. So the first word there, when he says, then you'll make your way prosperous, that's a word, it means to push forward, to make progress. When we think of um, prosperous sometimes, we think of having arrived. Like, you know, you say, oh, how are you doing? Well, if he's prospered, oh, he has gotten to where he needs to be. That's not in Scripture. In Scripture, what you see is prosperous means you're making progress all the time. You're making progress. And then that other word, success, it's a word it means to, to, uh, to prosper or to act wisely, to act wisely. And so that's really the key to lasting success. And what you see is this, consistent meditation will lead to careful application, which will lead to continual progress. So if you really want to see progress in your life, if you really want to see growth in your life, what you have to do is you have to learn to meditate. So you think, well, should I meditate like on like all the verses I read? Probably not. Quite frankly, I don't think you're going to live that long. And uh, you probably wouldn't have the time. So what do you, what do you choose then? What, how do you choose what you're going to do? Well, one, look for areas that you want to grow in. Like, you know, you may be over there and, um, you know, you, you have 
never had two nickels to rub together. And so you think, I probably ought to learn something about finances. Okay, there you go. Get into the Word of God, find out what it says, begin to meditate on some of those, you know. Or maybe you're one of those that you've had lots of money, but, you know, you've thought, you know, well, that's the key to everything. Well, dig into the Word of God and find out what it has to say about that. Begin to meditate on those verses. Or maybe it's not just an area you want to grow in. Maybe it's an area you need to grow in. Like Melinda and I were looking at this commercial, commercial cartoon, rather, over break, and uh, this gal said, oh, it's the new year. She goes, yeah. She goes, oh, my New Year's resolution, she's talking to this other gal across this table. She goes, my New Year's resolution is not to put my foot in my mouth anymore. I'll bet yours is to lose weight, huh? And I thought, ah, see, there you see an example of someone who needs to focus on something right there, you know? So, uh, you know, you, you want to look, you want to figure out, you know, not only is it something you want to focus on, look at something you need to focus on. And the third category is look at verses or look at passages that the Holy Spirit will just kind of point out to you, this is something you need to begin to look at. You need to pay attention to this. So what I'd like us to do is this. For the rest of our time together, I'd like us to look at a verse, and it's a verse that I think will illustrate kind of how this works, and so you'll understand that better, like how how does meditation work. It's a verse that's found in uh, the book of Jonah, uh, the book of Jonah. So Here's the verse right here. It says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. In fact, so that you all get that, why don't you all say that out loud? Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. I ran across that verse when we were uh, doing project uh, a long time ago. And... um, I could sense as I was hearing that, I heard that in a message that was given one week, and I listened to that verse, and I thought, I think that's something that God's wanting to, to speak, to, speak to me about. So I, I probably ought to memorize that verse. And so I did. And I, I began to memorize that verse. And, and what I'd like to do is I'd like to kind of walk you through the journey of me beginning to think about that verse a little bit, because I think that the process will be instructive for your life, but I also think the verse will be very instructive for your life as well. So I began to look at that. And one of the very first things I did as I was looking at that verse was I began to probe the verse. I began to ask questions. And so one of the very first questions I, I thought was, I thought, those who cling to worthless idols, I thought, what, what, is that, what does that word mean, cling? Like, what, what is that really, what is he trying to say there? And so, you know, I looked the word up and the word cling, what it means is it means to worship or to pay attention to, to worship or to pay attention to. But it's not this pay attention to like, you know, um, not like you hear sometimes like you need to pay attention. It's not a compulsory thing, but rather it's something you do out of desire. Like you say something like, you know, I've noticed that Jeremy is paying attention to Katie. You know, it's not something that's like, well, I've got to pay attention to Katie. You know, it's, but instead it's something like, oh, I want to pay attention to Katie, you know. Or, you know, that guy pays a lot of attention to his car. It's something that's out of, out of desire. It's one of those areas, it's something your mind runs to. It's something you hold on to when you have to let go of something. That's really what the word means. Something you hold on to when you have to let go of something. So I thought about that, and I thought, okay, 
something you pay attention to out of desire, something that you think about a lot, something that you hold on to when you have to let go of something. I thought, okay, I, I kind of get that. And the next word I looked at was the word idols. Those who cling to these idols. And I thought, well, that's probably not talking about like one of these little wooden things that are stuck up here. You know, it's probably got more meaning than that. So what, what does that mean? So I, I began to look up that word and study that a little bit. And I found out it means that which is insubstantial, which is empty and futile, things that you give allegiance to that take the place of God. And so I thought about that. I thought, okay, those things that you hold on to out of desire that take the place of God. And I thought, you know, what kind of things are those? And I began to ask myself, what kind of things would I, I hold ultimately significant? You know, what would you hold ultimately significant? You know, a relationship, a GPA. For others, it's a lifestyle. For others, it's, it's their way that they think of themselves, their identity. You know, they hold that as the most significant thing. But you begin to look at that, and he says, those who cling to worthless idols. And then I saw that again. I thought, oh, worthless idols. Oh, thank God. Oh, I've, surely my idols aren't worthless. And I began to look at that. You know what? He's not talking worthless in the sense of they have no value. He's talking worthless in the sense of their ability to provide what only God can. And what he's saying right there is, you know what? All idols are worthless, even the respectable ones. They're all worthless. So I pondered that. Those who cling to worthless idols, in other words, those who hold on to, out of desire, to those things that can never give them what God wants to give them. And I thought, wow, okay. So I thought, well, how do you know? How do you know if you're clinging to worthless idols? I think it's a real simple thing. What are you willing to let go of? What are you willing to let go of? See, you can only hold on to one thing, really. And so you've got to figure in your life, what is it you're willing to let go of? How do you recognize worthless idols in your life? What, what things make you willing to let go? Like, how many people that you know, they walk away from a walk with God because they really want this relationship or they really want marriage or they really want whatever. So you know what? Well, I'm sure God understands. Or how many walk away from integrity because I can save a little bit of money if I just don't report that or I can do this over here and so they'll walk away from integrity over finances. Or how many people that you see that they walk away from progress in their life because they really have an idol of the gym or an internship? And what they do is they, 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 we, we find all sorts of ways to do mental gymnastics and rationalize things in our mind. But the truth of the verse is those who cling to worthless idols and then I thought, wow, there's still another half of the verse. Yeah, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. And so the next word that really clung to my mind was, you know, grace. And I thought, if there's ever a more misunderstood word by people, a lot of times I see people throw that word around. Every time you talk about something like, you know, 
well, you ought to practice this discipline of practice. What about grace? What about grace? You know, and you're like, what about grace? You know, I mean, it absolutely has no bearing on grace whatsoever. What grace is, is grace is God working in your life to enable you to do what you can never do on your own. God working in your life to enable you to do what you can never do on your own. For instance, like having a relationship with him. Like in Ephesians, what he says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. So it's, it's one of those things you, you experience grace to begin a relationship with God. He says in Colossians, in like Colossians 2.6, he says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How did you receive him? By grace through faith. How do you walk with him? By grace through faith. So you really need grace all along the way. And what you find is this. God loves intersecting people's lives whenever they are at a point of failure or despair. And he loves helping them have a brand new beginning. That's part of what his grace is all about. And so when you look at that, you begin to think, you know, has anybody ever felt, like you don't have to raise your hands on this, but anybody ever feel like a failure? You ever feel like, oh boy, you know, I, yeah, you know, I mean, some of you go, well, he did, I'm sure, but you know, um, yeah, you know, when you feel that way, until you experience grace, until you really experience grace, for yourself, what you're going to always find is you're going to be looking for something to cling to, something that'll be a more secure way to kind of bury your past or dreaming of a way to undo a certain day or a certain weekend or a certain season of life. You're always going to be looking for something like that if you don't experience grace. Because what you find with grace, grace allows you to experience peace it allows you to experience security. It allows you to do that, not depending on an unblemished past, but depending upon the, the work of God in and through your life. So you don't, have to, you don't have to have this perfect life to line up and experience God's grace. If you could earn it or deserve it, it's not grace. But see, the last word... Um, you know, there's even, well, before I tell you that, yeah, there's, there's even better news. Because do you know what you need every single day of your life? You need grace. And what you find is that's what's available as you cling to God. When you cling to Him, you get grace. In fact, meditation, as, as you know, the saints before us would talk about, they talked about that's one of the disciplines of grace or one of the means of grace that how you experience some of God's grace is through these disciplines of grace, learning to meditate on God's Word. And as you do, you begin to experience that. You begin to make progress in your walk with God because of grace. So there's one other word that I found in there, and that's the word forfeit. Now, I didn't have to look that up, and um, you know I knew what that meant. Um, you'll have to take this by faith. I used to be an athlete, and long ago in a distant planet far, far away, but you know what I found out? I can sum up the word forfeit for you in, in two simple words. You lose. That's it. You lose. In fact, it's even worse than that. You not only lose, you never gave yourself a chance to win. You forfeited. 
And when you look at what he says right here, he says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could have been theirs. They forfeit the grace that could have been theirs. As you learn to meditate on God's word, one of the things he'll do is he'll begin to open it up for you so you'll learn how to really apply that at a heart level. All the benefits that we listed earlier are available to you. A blessed life, a life of substance, a life of stability, a life of fruitfulness, a life of progress, a life of success. All of those are available to you as you begin the journey of meditating on His Word, applying it to your life, and then beginning to make progress. Now, here's the thing I know. Everyone wants to make progress in their life. I have yet to meet somebody who goes, well, I woke up this morning, I hope I regress. You know, I hope that by the end of the day, I'm less of a person than I was when I started. You know, no one says that. I mean, maybe if they're mental, but I mean, no one says that. You know, I mean, they don't, they don't do that. What they say is, you know, yeah, I want to make progress. Well, God has given you a simple map. You meditate, which leads to application, which is, allows you to make progress. But you think, well, okay, how do you get started? Well, I think two things I would tell you. One, realize these things have to get into your schedule. You know, for some of you, you go, you know, it's a really good idea. Now, I don't have time to do it, but it's a really good idea. No, that doesn't work that way. If it doesn't get in your schedule, it doesn't get in your life. It has to get in your schedule. So you have to do that. You know, the second thing is realize that growth, real growth and change, those take time. So this can't be something, you know, you're thinking, you know, I'm going to give this 30 minutes and see if my life is really changed and a success. Well, it won't be. It's going to take some time. I mean, you have worked a number of years to build up some really bad habits. You've worked a number of years to really think the wrong way sometimes. So it's going to take some time for you to adjust to what God has said in his word and really apply that at a heart level. One final thought I would give you is this. If you aren't experiencing progress, you need to understand that's a self-inflicted wound. If you're not, if you're, you're not experiencing progress in knowing God and, and growing, that's a self-inflicted wound. Because you can make progress. All you have to do, begin to meditate on God's Word, begin to really apply it at a heart level, and God's guarantee for you is you will make progress. Let me pray for us, and let's invite the worship team back up. Father, thank you that you've given us your word and you've given us real clarity about how to live a life that is pleasing to you and is really a blessing to others. So, Father, I pray that you would uh, help us not to be so foolish as to take the time to, to look at your word, take the time to understand your word, and then just be like those guys that are just non-substantive, that are just chaff, that all they worry about is the veneer. But God, help us to pay attention to, the, to what you say in your word, really put it into practice so we can see you day by day, week by week, 
change our lives into the person you want us to become. We pray those things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.